Welcome to You Can't Laugh at That, the podcast where we take topics that aren't funny and we prove that they are funny. This is part of the You Can't Laugh at Work series where we take that time and place where it seems inappropriate to incorporate the themes of stand-up comedy and we find reasons why it's not only appropriate but beneficial to use some of the same skills that a comedian uses to connect with an audience and to be successful and to find humor in any given situation and how that works in terms of a leader doing the same thing. In fact, some of the skills mirror one another. And in today's episode, we feature Reed Carr, the CEO and founder of Red Door Interactive, which started in 2002. It is an advertising and marketing agency that has grown tremendously since 2002. They are known for their 100% jerk-free workplace environment, which means they focus on a culture of open-minded acceptance and respect, 100% of the time. In this conversation, we discuss how connecting with your team, how building trust amongst your coworkers and your employees is just as vital as building trust and connecting with an audience as a stand up comedian. So I hope you enjoy this episode of You Can't Laugh at That, You Can't Laugh at Work, featuring Reed Carr. Now I noticed on uh, on the website for uh, for Red Door the the word meaningful comes up quite a bit, and yeah. I assume there's a lot of intent behind that. Uh, you know, meaningful experiences. Let's create something meaningful together. I mean, that's consistent messaging. How would you define meaning to your team? So we talk about it a lot, and and what we recognize is that meaning actually comes in different forms depending on on what matters to the individual and so we spend a lot of time trying to understand uh what our kind of win-win relationships need to be so our what's the win for the client what's the win for you what's the win for the business and how do we find that kind of um uh, connection between all those parts so we talk about um one of the one of our core values is um exceed so we talk about exceeding expectations, but the only way to do that is to understand the expectations. Mm. If we understand what those expectations are, a win is not always perfectly clear because to one person, while we, while we may say, um, you know, I, I may want to ascend the corporate ladder, someone else, a win is having more time with family. Mm-hmm. And so um, in the sense of identifying meaning, it is hyper-personal. Um, as it relates to um, that human part of it, which can reflect itself in a brand. For example, we believe about uh, putting humanity behind a brand and identifying uh, what meaning is to them and how do they create a connection to their consumer or customer. So as I'm, as I'm editing, I realize that I can basically paraphrase what Reed is saying. For example, when he was talking about the definition of meaning, that can be attributed to what it means to be a comedian. For example, funny comes in different forms depending on what matters to the individual. So as a comic, it's important for you to make what matters to you matter to the audience in a way where they're looking at it from a different point of view. Uh, you know, when we make people laugh, it's our brain's way of saying, I've never looked at it that way before. I don't know what voice that was, but that's the case. If there's, if there's ever like a, a shortcoming in that, like how do you identify when somebody isn't finding meaning in their work or finding, uh, or a client isn't 
isn't connecting with that. There's a lot of different ways that that shows up. I mean, for example, one of them is things, you know, priorities change. I mean, we all, we've, you know, if you've had kids or if you've gotten married or if you bought a house or if you've done any of those things, you may realize, or actually, and I will say oftentimes that you don't necessarily realize it until later too, that maybe your priorities have changed or what matters to you changes. Um, obviously the environment can change, you, you know, can, you know, create new pressures on you. Um, so whether or not that's um, coming from the inside. So, um, you know, really the part of that is just having those, that frequent dialogue and having a de the degree of empathy and having the strength of relationship with those around you, which includes again, client and agency as us or into, you know, your manager and, and, um, and uh, direct report or something to that effect and having those frequent conversations to have um, and, and trust to allow someone to say, hey, do you think maybe something's changed here? Um, <clears throat> and because then they're saying, oh man, like what happened? Why am I not finding meaning? It's because I used to think I was trying to ascend the corporate ladder, but now I've had a family and I realize that that's taking away from the experiences that I wanna have at home. Wow, I didn't, you know, like, and so, hey, like, do you think it's that? And that has to come from a place of trust because what you don't want, you know, someone brings, if someone brings something like that up who you don't trust, they think you're out to get them, that you're changing the rules of the game or any of that kind of stuff. So this has to come with a, um, a consistency. Like if you just did this out, of, so if you don't have, for example, regular uh, one-to-ones your, with your manager and have a consistent set, we have a, a consistent agenda that you have. If you're always asking the same question, it's a way easier, um, it's way easier to identify when things change. If you're always just ad hoc of like, what's going on today, then, you know, who knows? It, it could literally be what's going on today, or it could be the macro definition of today being the current environment or the year or something like that. But if you have these things of saying, where's your mind share right now, for example, and if you have that, we do that every single day. That includes part of our, our daily um, huddle agenda. And you know, all of a sudden you're like, you know what, man, like you said this the last four days. What, uh, about this, your mind share, where your head's at right now. You, what, what, you don't want to talk about it. And those are the kinds of things. That's when I think you recognize there's a conflict. You had meaning and didn't have meaning. That's when that stuff tends to happen. It's not like you, you know, never had meaning and thought you did or something like that. I mean, all of a sudden you're just like, something feels off. And it's because something changed. Something probably changed. Right. It, it doesn't smack you in the face. You're not just like, hmm, I'm not getting meaning out of my work today. Right. Like, that's exactly. not a, that's, it's not a thought somebody has. No. And again, I think sometimes people like it's maybe a resistance to things changing. Right. I mean, again, if you've had kids, oh, yeah. you're like, you're like, nothing's going to change. And then like a few years later, you find like, okay, yeah, things definitely changed. And they changed a year or two ago. Not And, and you were trying to maybe resisting it. So again, having that support system, the kind of scaffolding we talk about, the things that are around each individual to support the ever-present change, um, you know, to have those authentic conversations, it, it makes a huge difference to identify, to have someone tell you that and go like, oh, man, you know, maybe, tell, wow, yeah, something maybe did change. And, and just the questioning too, uh, eventually they have to answer it, you know, especially if it's consistent. Mm -hmm. Now, when Reed says that priorities change, it's so true. Uh, not only from an employee standpoint, but the sensibilities of the time continue to change. You know, some jokes that were acceptable 10, 15 years ago aren't acceptable anymore because people are more in tune with, with mental wellness. And this is, doesn't, you know, mean to say, don't challenge your audience, 
but make sure that they come away from the exchange better than they were when I got there. And, uh, and knowing that people's sensibilities are changing, knowing that what's meaningful to them changes, you have to adapt with that if you're going to continue performing as a comic. Otherwise, you're going to be, you know, doing, hitting watermelon, like no one, no one, Gallagher hits watermelons with a mouth, like that gets old. Another thing that he mentions here is consistency. You know, if you're a comic that is known for being clean, and suddenly you start talking about sex, your audience is going to turn on you. It's one thing to evolve your style with the times. It's another thing to talk about something that isn't in your character. Just suddenly. You know, if there's going to be a shift, let it be gradual and natural. If you do that, it breaks trust. And trust, not only in a leader, from a leadership standpoint, but from a comedic standpoint, is vital to your success as a performer. You mentioned things like, like trust, and, uh, and that is, I mean, I don't want to say it's a t it was a taboo word for, for so long, uh, but it's these very human elements that we're now addressing in the workplace, and there are a lot of businesses, a lot of organizations that are still hesitant to lean into that because it's not quantifiable. You know, you can't, right. you can't put a number on trust, these soft skills like that. Yeah. And so, I mean, your, your messaging has been consistent. If, if I were to base that off of, uh, off of your TED talk, like since you started Red yeah. Door, you know, years ago. So yeah. what, what made you look at, you know, coming out of college, what influence did you have to make you kind of look at work in a more human way? You know, <clears throat> you know, it's kind of funny because it comes from a very like mechanical process driven sort of a way. It's just ironic, I think. Right. Mm -hmm. but I always I'm also a believer in kind of the yin and the yang of all of this stuff and this balance. And, you know, to take that step back, I wrote a business plan for Red Door and I kind of kept trying to distill it and distill it. And, you know, to, to articulate the, the practical aspect of it, you know, let's just say, you know, a lot of service providers are paid by the hour. Right. And why does someone for, you know, who does the exact same thing get paid, let's say $100 an hour and someone else gets paid $1,000 an hour? It's the perception of, and, and hopefully the actuality of it, but the perception of um, that that hour from that one person is way more valuable than that hour from the other person. It might be what they do, it might be the service they provide, or, the, or certainly the quality that they're able to do or the efficiency by which they're able to do it. The end of the day, it came down to the person. The person and what they're capable of doing within that period of time. So if we wanted to increase margin, if we wanted to increase our value to our clients, we better make sure we have the damn, like the best damn people. And so then articulate what the best people looks like. And there's a bunch of factors that go into that. Uh, factors being like, you know, are they trained? Are they continuously trained? Do they have the tools they need to be effective? Um, do they have the support network around them? For, for the humanity of it, right? I mean, you have your ups and downs. You have people around you to help when, you know, whatever, to or to do the lower level tasks. Why are you doing higher level tasks? You get down into all this stuff. And if we find great people, how do you make sure you retain great people? And that whole part of it, at the end of the day, what it all came down to is everything oriented around our, each and every individual person we have, um, making sure that they have, they can be their very, find the best and allow them to be their best through a, a e ecosystem of the company to be able to provide that such that we can drive um, uh, value 
for our clients. So at the end of the day, it's a, this very mechanical way of going, we better pay close attention to the humans that we've got um, because that's all we've got. And I know that a lot of people talk about that too, of like, well, you know, the, our greatest asset goes up and down the elevator every day and that sort of thing. But to some degree, um, I'm sure that a product company, while of course the people create the product or something like that, for a while they can live off a good product. And then they fall off a cliff because they didn't pay attention to the people. Mm -hmm. But our inventory as a service provider expires faster than any like grocery store produce. You know, every 15, you know, every 15 minutes our inventory expired, the all of it. So, um, you know, I think that, that you know, everything we do has to, we have to earn it and win it every single day. Mm -hmm. uh, every single 15 minute increment or whatever increment we bill off of. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting way to look at it. You know, you do a lot of creative work. You allow your people to kind of explore that freedom, what works with the client and so on. Like, what do you look, how would you define creativity and uh, how much creative freedom do you give your, your people? Um, yeah. So you have to realize too, that we are um, creative for commercial purposes. So there are artists in this world that can do whatever the heck they want to do, but we're effectively commissioned um, to do the work that we need to do. So for our creativity to be effective, we have to have guardrails, which to agree, I think creates, I think a lot of times the conditions for supreme creativity. You know, if you just said to some creative person, hey, be creative, they'd be like, paralyzed like i don't know what am i supposed to do with that but if we're saying look here's the demographic here's what they're dealing with in their life here's the product can do here's what it can't do and how do i put this in the best framing to then you know sell to these people who are dealing with this in their life I, what would you do and then that's where creativity comes up and so what can we do as an organization to put the strategy in place and the constraints in place to you know make creativity happen for commercial purposes. I mean, at the end of the day, if also we produce something that is creative, go, oh my God, that's catchy or it's funny or it's whatever, but doesn't sell product, um, you know, then we're also, that's not gonna work for us either. So, you know, we, that's the kind of the constraints of it that I think um, brings a lot of the fun. I think it's also can bring some of the heartbreak too when you think you've got something that you're like, it just doesn't, I mean, it's funny for sure, but it doesn't, it's not all, like, it's, how do we have that discipline to connect it to go, well, yeah, that, that's funny, but that's not, that's not for this. So, you know, do you parking lot it? Do you hold it somewhere else and say someday, maybe we'll get to do this because that'll work for someone else. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, that's where, um, that's what our responsibility is. And so, you know, given the, giving people that environment um, and also setting the right expectations, um, particularly for the creatives, which by the way, what's important to us, part of the 100% jerk free um, core value of ours is making sure that those great ideas can come from anywhere, not just the creatives in the traditional sense. Um, because I do believe that everyone has those, I mean, I don't care who you are. I think there's a lot of people who go, well, I'm just not creative or whatever. There's, everyone solves problems. Everyone finds ways to get, you know, get through a day. And I think if you, if you have that objectivity, uh, and maybe even lighten the load of this responsibility that you put on the creative and put that to someone else. Go, hey, what would you do here? It's, they are at the lowest possible, they weren't expected to be creative. So the bar is very low and they see it from a completely different uh, perspective. Maybe that inspires creativity or maybe it is the solution, you know, uh, in, t in entirety. So 
that is where you create a trusting environment where you throw an idea out and people go like, maybe, maybe it's not it, but at least they're going to respect you for trying. Mm-hmm. And, um, and sometimes it is it. And that's, what's the great part of it. Yeah. At the very least it's a starting point or you figure out, well, what not to do. In yeah. Cases. Yeah, uh, for sure. We've just eliminated. <laughs> thank you very much. We've eliminated one possible direction we could have gone. <laughs> to me, I, mean, I, I come from an improv background, and you mentioned that in your in, yep. your, in your TED talk. Uh, but at the same time, you can yes and while still saying no, and yep. that, that takes a that takes a special skill. In you have to have a perspective, right? Yeah, so. yeah. I, I, everything you say, you know, I like I said, I'm a creative. And if I sit down and I'm like, all right, David, write something like write something hilarious or write something yep. that's going to blow people's minds. I'll just sit there with a pen and, yeah. and have no idea what to do. So it's, you got to be some operate between rules and a blank canvas. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes one of those rules is the deadline. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. We need it by then. That's yeah. I know. Once you give me a deadline, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll crush it. But if you give me no deadline, I'll sit with it forever. Now, when Reed says that there have to be guardrails when it comes to being creative, the same is true when it comes to writing content as a comic. You know, there are some topics that, based off of who you are, what you look like, what your background is, that that could be off limits. And and trying to approach those topics, um, there are some ways that work and some ways that don't. And you have to be aware of that. There are guardrails in place. Even though a comic can get on stage and talk about whatever they want, doesn't mean they should. And in order to be more marketable, in order to give the audience the best experience, you have to know where your limits are. Just like when you're creating a marketing campaign for a client or you're doing PR work for a client or you're, you're dealing with a difficult person. There are certain things that you can and can't say. You can say whatever you want, sure, but there are guidelines, there are guardrails within which that uh, you can work to get a better outcome and you can still engage your own creativity. Also, when it comes to ideas that are funny but might not be relevant to a certain project, that's true of writing content as a comic. There is a joke that, that might be funny, but it might not fit in your current act. It might You might not have the skills to really extract all of the funny juice never going to use that in a sentence again from a certain topic because you know you don't have the skill set you don't have the experience to do it so just like reed was mentioning you can parking lot an idea you can put it in the save for later bowl and when you're ready bring it out or when the situation is perfect there it is waiting for you ready to be used you can laugh at that you Can't Laugh at That is brought to you by Water Cooler Comedy. Now, for too long, we've been asking the question, should work be focused on work or fun? But Mark Twain once said that work and play are two words used to describe the same thing under different circumstances. So my point is that we're asking the wrong question. Instead of asking, should work be work or fun, the question should be, how can we make work fun, whether it's the keynote speech, a half-day workshop, a 90-day consulting program, a customized corporate comedy experience for you and your team as you try to figure out how to reboard, how to get back to work after working virtually for a year. Why humor in the workplace? Well, studies have shown that humor builds resilience. It allows us to adapt to problems more quickly, more creatively, and more corrupt... 
It allows us to adapt to problems more quickly, more creatively, and more corrab... I can't say collaboratively. <laughs> it allows us to adapt to not being able to say collaboratively correctly. Because not only does laughter make us feel better, it makes us work better, too. So why not make work the time and place to laugh? Check out watercoolercomedy.org. You talk about the 100% jerk-free zone. That doesn't just mean like no assholes. There's right. there's a lot of layers to it. And one of them, you know, you say, you talk about the rule of improv, which is yes, and when someone presents an idea, you accept that idea and add to it. How does yeah. that play in the day-to-day -day culture building of your team? Not just the, not just like the, the ad work, but in the, in the, but. You know, it's interesting how it plays out. I mean, how you witness it sometimes is people actually having to almost force that right because i don't know if that's always human nature i think if if it was human nature i think we'd see it way more often than we do yeah um, so you really do have to be trained in the idea of like hey you know one it's it's you have a perspective you're you're you are who you are and and that's and so we respect you for who you are and the perspective you bring and this other person pre presents their perspective and the value they bring so when you put these kinds of things together having that idea of one, you're trying to make each other look good. And two, you want to make sure that you're kind of building upon one another's ideas. Now it's, it's, you know, certainly can you find tangents that need to bring things back on the rails, go, Hey, we're going on the wrong direction on this one because we've yes ended it down the wrong path. Uh, because recognizable. It, yeah. Which yeah. I think works on possibly on stage, but not in the for commercial purposes part of it. You're like, now we're getting off strategy here. It's funny. The puns are great, but we need to get back over here because we're not trying to be funny for this concept perhaps or something like that um, because that is a, a you know you have those cases in which you're like look it, this has to be serious not funny or whatever that might be so um in any case that's how that plays out is someone has to be you have to have those people that are effectively the um, topic keeper and the timekeeper and some of those people within these contexts of the brain brainstorming if you want to call it that way um, but then you also have those forced things where someone says something and you can look clearly there when they're, when you know, they disagree, they go, yes. And, and then they're like, take, they're like, and you're like, and then they, and you're like, okay, I, I see what you're doing there. Whereas it's a lot, if it, if they are truly yes ending someone, then it's just more natural where they're just, oh, and, oh yeah, totally. And then we could do this, so, you know, but then they're like, yes. And maybe we should, you know, and at least at that point, everyone recognizes they're trying and they're trying to be respectful. And so those are the kinds of things that it's like, talk about the idea of like symbols that we have a lot of symbols in our environments that you know, they mean things to people. And that's a, a symbol, maybe in that case, verbal one that says, look, Hey man, I, I respect everything you put out there. And I think something different and I just, it's too much on me to try to piece it together. So, and it's like, it means a lot when someone just forcibly says yes. And, and they, and you're like, all right, cool. Like, I see where you're going with that one. It's, and, um, and I think that's, a, that's one of the ways that it plays out. I think other ways that it plays out, like I said, I think it's just become, hopefully become something that people just generally embrace. Um, and it just is a, a generally uh, respectful environment in that way. Yeah, there's plenty of time to get analytical and, and poke holes in it. But when you're trying to be creative, it, you, that just that just destroys that process. Yeah, exactly. You know, right now, everything going on in the world, there's a lot of adversity. There's a lot of pivoting that's having to be done. 
if you could give a leader that is trying to lean into it using the principles that you use as a leader, uh, what would you say to them? What advice would you give them? Well, I mean, I think if you're trying to, yeah, the uncertainty and having to find new directions, I think generally the answer is within your people. I mean, assuming you have people, I mean, a, a leader of an organization with, you know, more than just yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times there's the, the aspect of confidence. Um, I think there's also the understanding and empathy of the customer and the core customer. Do you, are you reaching the right people? Are those people, because I mean, I, I recognize in this environment, there are just things that have largely gone away in this time. And, and you're like, no amount of, you know, changing things up is going to make a, a particular office reopen. And that's the kind of service you provide or something like that. So, you know, you have to really put all your assets on the table and go, what are we really good at? Uh, what do we have? And, and again, having one perspective generally doesn't, isn't enough. Um, having different people go, well, you know, like our operations department's really good at doing this one thing. Like, okay, is there something there? Let's lean into that and talk about what that is. And could that be something different? I have been inspired by a lot of people well prior to this, I'll say back in the, um, the last major downturn. So the recession and to watch some people pivot into completely different places because they were like, well, we happen to be good at this one thing. Where else uses that one thing and find new industries? I mean, it is, it's not that it's not hard, but I think it is that way of, of creativity, exploration, understanding your constraints, um, and getting enough people who, under crisis, you'd be surprised how many people come through and say, look, I'm on board with you here. Let's try to figure it out. Now, if everything full collapses, then everyone's going to have to find something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not, not through lack of openness and transparency. I mean, that's not how that's going to happen. They're going to be like, oh, man. Um, I think that that's been a big thing for us is giving people the information. We're a very transparent organization. Um, and I firmly believe, as we always say, is none of us is as smart as all of us. And so if we can figure out and put all that information out to everyone on an ongoing basis, we can find those new avenues, hopefully before crisis happens. If it doesn't work out, you can still use those same principles and, and adapt yeah. to it. Everything you said, it's funny. Like, I mean, I, I have this comic brain, but everything you said, those like principles of stand-up apply there too. I mean, yeah. yes, and communicating, collaborating, trust, confidence, all these things. Um, so I don't know, maybe hop on stage and, and try stand up at some point because you've got the basics down. Well, that's, uh, you know, what's funny is my, that's my son's passion. He's, oh, really? uh, he's almost 16 and that's comedy, comedy writing. He did his, uh, eighth grade, whatever you call that thesis, um, on, um, he interviewed a writer from modern family. Um, you know, that's his thing. He, he's super into it. So I've absorbed quite a bit of it now that he's, it's become such a passion for him. Yeah, that's super cool. Well, uh, thanks for taking the time out of your day again. Of course. And I see the happiness advantage back there. Oh yeah. Well, it's, it's, that's the book that got me into uh, wanting to speak in the first place. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I had a chance to meet him. Um, and then he, then his book came out later um and yeah we have that so we have a library at red door and that's one of the featured books that we've got now that that explains a lot (laughs) that explains a lot be safe out there uh thanks for taking the time again yeah you got it with pleasure take care yeah likewise thank you for listening to this episode of you can't laugh at work with reed carr if you're interested in learning a little bit more about reed and what he does with red door interactive you can visit red door 
at reddoor.biz. That's R-E-D-D-O-O-R dot B-I-Z. You can also follow them on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and on Instagram at Red Door Interactive if you're interested to see what kind of work they do. You can follow Reed Carr on Twitter at iCowboy and on Instagram at RDICowboy. Thank you again to Reed Carr for joining this podcast to help share what it means to work in a jerk-free zone and to allow creativity in a way that is productive and engaging and human on its deepest level. As we continue on our mission to incorporate humor into leadership in more workplaces, to engage more people, to inspire creativity and collaboration and caring, Feel free to give us a like, a follow, a subscribe on whatever platform that you get your podcasts. Uh, If you're on Apple Podcasts, throw us a five-star rating and a review of the way that you found these episodes to be helpful. Because we want to prove that no matter how quickly change comes, no matter how uncertain the future is, no matter if your people are working from home and you're trying to find new ways to engage them, remotely remember that there is always a way to laugh at work